So, discovering and doing God's will is not some kind of formula, you know, steps that I need to follow. Um, Experiencing God's design for your life is not some kind of program that you get into. It's not some kind of, um, um, you know, here's some steps, and if you'll just do these kinds of things, suddenly you're going to know God's will. It's not that at all. It's not some kind of formula that you can put together and you do these three things and suddenly, wham, you know God's will. Knowing and experiencing God's will and doing God's will is a relationship. It is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a relationship that is real. It's a relationship that is deep. It's a relationship that is growing deeper each and, and every single day. And that relationship doesn't begin with us. It's not like, you know, you wake up one morning and you say, hmm, I think I'll have become a friend with God today. It's not that at all. You see, the relationship that we have with God always begins with God's initiative. He's the one that takes the first step. It's always his initiative. And he created you and me for a relationship. But he's the one who always engages first. He's the one who takes the initiative. He pursues that love relationship with us. See, the truth of Scripture is that no one ever seeks after God. But God is the one who seeks after them. Uh, Over in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul wrote this. He said, as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So nobody is going to pursue after God. God has to be the one who pursues us. In fact, scripture makes it very plain that God draws us to himself. That word draws is a key word in scripture. That God is in the business of drawing us to himself. Look there in your notes at John 6 and verse 44. It says, for no one can come to me, that's Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will rise them up, or raise them up. Uh, look then at, at verse 65. It says, that is why I said, people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. <clears throat> Back in the Old Testament days, Jeremiah wrote, and, he, and God spoke through Jeremiah to, to say this in, in chapter 31, verse 3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, With an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. So the scripture pictures Jesus Christ as as saying that nobody comes to him unless God draws them to Jesus Christ. No one seeks after God. God always takes the initiative. God always draws us to himself. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 4, it says, Even before he, God, made the world... God loved us, and look at that word, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And then look at these words. God chooses me 
because of his love. See, God is the one who draws us to himself. It's always of God. God is the one who takes the initiative there. And so here it is. God chooses me because he loves me. Uh, He shows me his love and he reveals himself to me. Then I respond to God's activity in my life and I invite him into my heart to do whatever he wants to do in me and through me. So God comes into my life and fellowship with God begins. That's the whole thrust of, of salvation experience. See, God through Jesus Christ has adopted us to be a part of his family. Have you ever thought of that? God adopts us into his family. And so our relationship with him becomes that of a father with a son or, or a daughter. It's that kind of relationship. Now, when you think about a relationship in a family, there are two sides to that love, right? God loves us, but we also love God. It's two sides to that relationship. So I want to ask the question, very first question I'm going to ask, how's your love life? How's your love life? In other words, how is your love relationship with God? Do you ever stop and analyze that? How's your love relationship with God? Can you describe your relationship with God with that word love? I mean, could you say to God, God, I love you with all my heart. Uh, you know, too many of us say, well, I, I, I can say I obey him. I serve him. I worship him. I reverence him. Um, I fear him. But can you use those words, I love him? Uh, look what. The, the commandment given to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Let me ask you, be honest for a moment. In all candor, What would you say is the number one love of your heart? In in all candor, what would it be? What is the number one love of your heart? Uh, Maybe you would say, well, it's my family. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's my parents. Maybe it's my children. And I do hope that your love for your your parents, your children, your, your spouse is growing each and every day. But what about your love for God? Um. Is the number one thing in your life um, that you love? Is is it your house? Maybe it's that fancy truck that you drive or that neat car that you just bought. Uh, Maybe it's your blue Jeep. Whatever, you know. What is the thing, the number one thing in your life that you love? Maybe it's your recreation. Snowmobile, jet ski, uh, the vacation that you're going on. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the status that you have in life. All of these may be important to you, friend, but not number one. Not number one. Don't substitute things or people or adventures or entertainment or prestige or honor or position for the singular most important thing in life. One day, uh, a lawyer came to Jesus. He was a scribe. He was an expert in the Jewish law. And he came to Jesus and he asked him the question, what is the single most important thing in life? 
Look, look how Jesus responded there in Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? What's the singular most important thing in life? Verse 29, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Jesus is saying that the most important thing in life is to love God wholeheartedly. All your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. So what does your love look like? If you and I were to love God wholeheartedly, how, how might that play out in our lives? What are the things that we might do in our life to make sure that we're loving God wholeheartedly? You know, aside from my relationship with God, uh, my relationship with my wife is the most important thing in my life. We've been together almost 49 years. And there is no relationship that I have that is more important to me. And um, the way that I cultivate my relationship with my wife, and, and I use that word cultivate, that's a good word to use. Because when you have a relationship, you need to cultivate it. You need to work at it. You need to grow it. Don't just assume that it's going to grow and take it for granted. You've got to cultivate it. Well, the way that I cultivate my relationship with my wife has much to say about the way in which I cultivate my relationship with God. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thing is that because I love Jan... I want to do everything I can to please her. Uh, that, that's the number two goal of my life, to please her. That number one goal, of course, is to please God. And so in the same way that I make it my goal to please my wife, I make it my goal to please my Father in heaven. Um, I seek to live my life to please Him. We call that obedience. We call that obeying Him. <clears throat> that's there in your outline, obeying Him. You see, when we're obedient to God... We bring great pleasure to him. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, I make it my goal to please God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 9. I, I run into people continually who tell me, Oh, I sure love Jesus. And I wonder sometimes, because I know enough about them, that their lifestyle doesn't, doesn't match their words. You see, somebody says, I love Jesus. But then you look at how they're living and you say, hmm, this thing don't match up. Look what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Oh, I love Jesus. But there's some commandments I don't want to obey. Some things that I want to do my own way. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. You see, loving God wholeheartedly 
means that we have an ongoing obedience to him. We make it our goal to please him. And so I love my wife and I, and I work to please her in, in every way possible. It's my goal to please her. But not only that do I want to please Jan, but I also want to spend time with her. I mean, you know, if you love somebody, you want to, you want to spend time with him. And the more we spend time together, the deeper my love for her grows. People say, oh, don't you get tired of driving back and forth to doctors in Salt Lake City and all that? Yes and no, <laughs> okay? One of the benefits of that is we get to spend time together. Sitting side by side, listening to music, Jan singing along. I love to hear her sing. We get to spend time together. Well, the same is true in our relationship with, our love relationship with God. And so that's the second point. If you're going to love God wholeheartedly, you would not only obey Him, but you want to spend time with Him. You need to cultivate that daily time that you have with God. That daily quiet time. Uh, most of you know that I begin my days quite early like a lot of you do, okay? Uh, I get up at four and sometimes even earlier because I have an appointment with God. Um, you know, I, and I wonder what happens when, when the God who loves me comes to meet me in those early hours in the morning and I'm not there. How does he feel when he says, Sam, where, where are you? And, and I'm not there. I keep my time alone with God. That is, I meet him in the morning. Now listen to this. I meet him in the morning not to have a relationship with him, but because I have a relationship with him. I meet him in the morning not to have a relationship with God, but because I have a relationship with God. Because I have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, I want to meet him every day in prayer, in, in Bible reading, each and every day. Because when you truly love somebody, you want to spend time with them. And a corollary to that of spending time with God is you need to also be reading his love letters. Okay? Because this is God's love letters to you. Back when Jan and I first got married, <clears throat> I was, uh, we got married at the end of my first year of seminary. And uh, I was uh, working as a youth minister at First Baptist Church of Bossier City, Louisiana. And uh, so I was summer youth minister and then weekend youth minister. And so I was going back and forth to Fort Worth to classes and all that. And we made that decision, you know, after we got married that Jan was going to stay in Shreveport in Bossier City. And uh, I was going to come home on weekends, and then I'd go to school, and you know, during the week. And one thing about seminary in those days, you only had classes on Tuesday through Friday. And so every week, because I loved my wife, I would it'd get later and later on Mondays before I'd leave to go back to go to the dormitory, you know. And, and then I got into this thing. I'd get up at 4 o'clock on Tuesday morning and drive in for an 8 o'clock class. You know, that was just the way you did it, okay? Because I loved my wife. But one of the neat things was that that first year that we were married is that every single day Jan wrote me a letter and sent it in the mail. And so I'd be, at, you know, come back from class and be mail call and there'd be a letter from Jan. And sometimes on Monday I'd get last week's letters, you know, and it was, it was very special to me. I wanted to read her love letters. God has given you a love letter. You ought to want to read this. Because it's God speaking his love to you. Uh, 
couple of a number of weeks ago, I challenged you, let's read through the New Testament. Four chapters a week, five chapters a week, we can read through the New Testament. How many of you are doing that? You're, you're reading through the New Testament. You ought to be, this week you're going to finish Matthew, right? We ought to be right at that point. If you haven't started, hey, no problem. Just start. Read five chapters a week. And you can finish the New Testament this year. That's important to do. You want to read his love letters. So, if we're going to love God wholeheartedly, it means we're going to obey him. We're going to want to spend time with him. We're going to read it, want to read his love letters. And the fourth thing, you want to tell everybody about him. You want to tell everybody about him. <clears throat> this past uh, Valentine's Day, a week ago Friday, um, my phone lit up late at night. And it was my granddaughter Molly telling me that her boyfriend had proposed to her. And they're going to get married in August. And by the next morning, it was all over Facebook. She was telling everybody, this picture of this huge, humongous ring sticking out there, you know, for everybody to see because she was in love. And she wanted everybody to know about that. When we love God, we want everybody to know about that. That's why we're doing this Who's Your One campaign. Tell people who you love and why you love Him and what He's done for you. That's what it means to be wholeheartedly loving God. So what does God want from you? He wants you to love him with all your heart. So again, the question is, how's your love relationship with God? How's your love relationship with God? Are you doing the things that will enhance and help grow that relationship with him so that you can honestly say, I love God with all my heart, with all my my soul, with all my might, with all my strength. You know, unfortunately... Too many people have priorities that are, well, for want of a better word, are all messed up, okay? Uh, they're pursuing things that really are of lesser importance in life. And folks, I want you to know that nothing is more important in life than a relationship with God. Uh, the lawyer here in, in Mark chapter 12, he asked, what is the most important thing? And what did Jesus say? Love God wholeheartedly. Wouldn't it be tragic? For you to lean your ladder up against a wall and you spend your entire life climbing that ladder. And when you get to the top, you suddenly realize that you've leaned your ladder against the wrong wall. There are a lot of people who are going through life climbing the ladder. And they get to the top and they realize, I've got this against the wrong wall. I'm pursuing this, I'm pursuing that. Instead of saying, I've leaned my ladder against God's unconditional love for me. And I'm climbing to get to know him each and every day better and better. He said, we're to love God with all our heart. Now, maybe, maybe you say, well, Pastor Sam, I don't think that really, I can really say that. I mean, I, I, I don't love God enough. Let me let you on a little secret. <clears throat> The problem is not that you don't love God enough. The real problem is you don't realize how much God loves you. That you have never fully grasped the incredible wonder of how much God loves you. Because if you could, could get your head wrapped around how much God loves you, it would transform your life. 
And there wouldn't be any problem whatsoever in loving God wholeheartedly when you realize how much God loves you. See, when I come to to understand how much God loves me, it really provides what I'm calling a surefire cure for your love life. How's your love life? Here's the cure for it. You want to know how deep God loves you. So let's look at some passages from Scripture. Take, Take time to realize how madly in love God is with you. Let's start with the most familiar verse, John 3.16. Let's look at this again, what it says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Look at what this very familiar verse is saying. First of all, it's showing us the greatest love that the world has ever known. It says, for God so loved the world. Now, the world there doesn't mean this world system, the, 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 you know, the economy and all that. It means the people of this world. God loved the world so much. That word so is important in there. God loved the world so much. And then we see the greatest gift ever given, that he gave his only begotten son. And, and realize, what does it mean that he gave? He gave him that he might die in our behalf. That's the greatest gift that has ever been given in the world. And then we see the greatest proposal that's ever made. It says that who, everyone who believes in him puts their hope, their trust, their, their leaning upon him alone for salvation. Everyone who believes in him. That's the greatest proposal that's ever been made. And then finally we see the greatest promise ever spoken. Will not perish but have eternal life. It's the greatest promise that's ever been made. That's how much God loves you. Um, Let's look at the the corollary to John 3.16. Go to the first epistle of John. 1 John 3.16. And look what it says. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Real love. That's the kind of love we're looking for. I'm thinking of that that song, that country song from years ago, looking for love in all the wrong places. People are looking for love. There's only one that is real love, and it's it's not a fickle love. It's not a a conditional love. It's not a self-seeking kind of love. It's real love. And this is real love because Jesus gave up his life for us. Look at, again, in 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 9. God showed how much he loved us. You want to know how much God loves you? You want to know how great God's love is? Or you look at it. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How much does God love you? How great is his love for you? Look at it there. He sent his son as the sacrifice to take away our sins. And then verse 19. We love each other because he loved us first. So how much does God love you? Romans 5 says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
at a time when we were hopeless, at a time when, when, when we were helpless, at a time when we were enemies against God, at a time when we were sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, no greater love has any man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus went to that cross and he stretched out his arms and he says, you want to know how much I love you? I love you this much. I love you so much that I would rather die than live without you. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is real love. And there in verse 19, it says that God takes the initiative. He loved us first. Folks, I want you to know that to be loved by God is the highest relationship. It's the highest achievement. It's the highest position in life. You need nothing else to be fulfilled. Come to understand how much God loves you. And it won't take you too much effort to love God wholeheartedly. When you've been experiencing that kind of love. One of my favorite songs that we often do. Uh, in our worship experiences is, is the song, Oh, How He Loves, by John Mark McMillan. Um, McMillan wrote that song, Oh, How He Loves, following the death of his best friend, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Coffey. Um, he was a youth minister, and it seems that on November the 1st in 2002, um, Coffey had, in a, in a prayer meeting at a church, had prayed out loud and had said, I'd give my life today if it would shake the youth of our nation. And that very night, he died in a multi-car crash, died of his, of his injuries. And so John Mark McMillan wrote the song, Oh, How He Loves, really as a tribute to coffee. And, and really, he says, also out of a need to, quote, have some sort of conversation with God where he could speak of his frustration and, and emotions over the death of, of his friends. And according to McMillan, the love that he's singing about in that song, Oh How He Loves, is not, you know, a pretty Hollywood hot pink kind of love. It's the kind of love that is willing to love even when things are difficult and messy. He says this, quote, This song isn't a celebration of weakness and anger. It's a celebration of a God who would want to hang with us through those things, who wants to be a part of our lives through those things. And despite who we are, he would want to be a, want to be a part of us, our community and our family. And so McMillan wrote this song and and in it, he, he speaks of the passionate, initiative-taking kind of love that God has for you and me. You know, he says that, he starts out, he is jealous for me. Have you ever realized that God is so madly in love with you that he's jealous of anything that would steal your love away from him? He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. He's an irresistible kind of force. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. All the suffering that we go through. The sadness, the sorrow, the difficulties are eclipsed by glory. And we realize just how beautiful he is. And how great your affections are for me. When you realize how much God loves you. It makes everything else in this world fade into 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 oblivion so he says oh how he loves us oh 
Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us all. We are his portion. The Bible talks about that we are God's inheritance. We are his portion and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. And I don't have time to maintain those regrets. When I think about, oh, how he loves me. See, when we understand how much God loves us, it changes everything. Folks, God loves you with an incredible love. I don't know how to get that across to you. God loves you incredibly much. I want you to let that thought captivate you. Let that thought draw your heart to to the love, uh, your, your heart of love to God's heart of love. To recognize how much God loves you. See, that love that God has for us has some very practical benefits for living life every day. The very first thing to realize is, because God loves me completely, He will provide everything that I need. I'm just going to read some verses from Scripture just to remind us how much He provides for us. Yeah, You know, I think about my love relationship with my wife, Jan. I want to provide for every one of her needs. That's, that's important to me. A parent does that for a child, and God does that for us as well. Look at Matthew 6, beginning of verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Folks, don't worry about the trappings of life. God loves you and he's going to take care of you. Paul said in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How rich is God? He's probably got enough resources to take care of your needs, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. And second, because God loves me completely, he's present in every circumstance of life. Whether it's good, whether it's bad. He is present in that. I love what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 35, he says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, listen to that, nothing, did I say that? Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Not cancer, not divorce, not broken relationships, not financial situations, nothing No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, when you're facing tough circumstances, don't look at the circumstances. Look at the cross. Cross says, this is how much I love you. I don't care what you're going through. I love you. And nothing's going to ever separate me from your love. From nothing, you from my love. 
See, no matter what the circumstances, God's love for us never, ever changes. And finally, because God loves us completely, he promises us a life with him throughout eternity. Folks, we were created for eternity. We weren't created for this world. We're just strangers here. We're pilgrims. We're temporary sojourners here on this earth. But God has prepared so much more for us. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 2? He says, there is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always, underline that word always, so that you will always be with me where I am. Folks, we were created for eternity. Uh, We were created to love God with all our hearts. And, And folks, if you settle for anything less than the absolute love of God in your life, you settle for anything else, if you, you know, if you give your ultimate love to anything short of a God of creation, you're going to miss out on what you're created for. Not only do you miss out on the eternity that God has created you for, but you also miss out in your life here on this earth, the things that, that you're doing here. You're limiting your life. Folks, don't limit your life by the trappings of this world. Don't let the past limit you. You know, things that happen in the past that, that hold you back and, and rob you of peace and, and, and joy and robbing you of the fullness of life that God has designed you for. God, through Jesus Christ, has taken care of your past. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. And don't let the present rob you or limit you. You see, the present, with all of its stress and anxiety of life, you know, this fast-paced world, the, the struggles with things that entrap us and hold us back, those things can rob you of the wonderful life that God designed you for. And then, folks, don't let fear of the future rob you and limit you. Love God with all your heart, and folks, your future is secure. God has, has an eternity of being in His presence prepared for you. And so because God loves us completely, life lived in the love of God will free us from the shackles of the past, will free us from the struggles of the present, will free us from the uncertainty of the future. God, through Jesus Christ, has taken care of all those things. You know, I talked last week about making sure that your life is centered in God and not in yourself at all. Love God wholeheartedly. That means to center your life in Him entirely. We need to orient our life to God's eternal purpose in our life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth. Boy, that's, that's a pretty good indictment of our day and time, isn't it? But don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So folks, what I want to urge you, make your relationship, your love relationship with God the treasure of your life. And if for some reason... You can't think of a time when your relationship with God could be described as a wholehearted love relationship. And maybe you need to just think through and say, how 
how is my heart with God? Uh, maybe you need to get before God in prayer and, and ask him to reveal the real condition of your heart. Do I really love God wholeheartedly or do I have another love in my life? Are there some things that I'm allowing to take God's place in my heart and my life? We need to learn to turn our life over to him and ask him to give us the kind of relationship that he has designed us for. And it may be that you're here this morning and you really don't even have a relationship with God. Maybe you need somebody to talk with that would help you to know how to turn your life over to Jesus Christ and to invite him into your heart and into your life.